Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Today, we're delighted to be joined on the show by Luca Arrigo. As co-founder of Metaverse Architects and founder of Decentraland Architects, Luca is a serial entrepreneur in the Web3 space who is helping to bring the Metaverse to life. Luca is also a key figure in the wider technology scene of Malta, where he supports fellow founders and technologists through the Nomad Visa program. So without further ado, Luca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jack. Hi, Alec. Great to be here. Um, thanks for the invitation. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I know, man. It's, uh, it's, it's all good. Uh, at the moment, uh, you mentioned Malta. There's uh, a feast week that happens for Santa Maria. Personally, I'm working this week, but the whole island is up in um, kind of like outdoor celebrations. <laughs> oh, wow. No wonder you're smiling so much. That sounds great. Um, so yeah, why, why don't we kick things off, off then, Luca? So how, why don't you tell us about your career and what led you into you know, the Web3 space? Sure. I, so I, I started out in kind of business entrepreneurship quite a few years ago uh, when I was just 18, building kind of like tourism companies and that sort of thing. But then um, during COVID is when I decided to use like those same skills of digital marketing and sales um, and and dabble in a new industry for for which was for me was uh, Web three and, and metaverse um, and kind of the cross section of virtual worlds and NFTs and, and digital currency. Um, so so that's like how I got into um, uh, the central and architects and then eventually went on to co-found metaverse architects. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've already mentioned the word metaverse a number of times, right? So this is clearly your your area of expertise. And we've, we've talked about it a fair few times on the podcast already. But, um, you know, we've tried to define it ourselves, but I'm sure you'll, you'll probably give a more uh, a more dialed answer than we could. So, yeah, for you, what is the metaverse? Could you give us a kind of an overview of, of how you see it? Yeah, I, I'll give you an explanation, I guess, of, of metaverse architects and, and like how we define our brand and, and our name there because essentially for us metaverse uh, encompasses everything that's on the internet right um uh, from social media um uh, to streaming to video games to um you know today like even having kind of digital currencies in the form of cryptocurrency i see those as all elements and even ai as being another element that, that falls under the idea of the metaverse now, we call our company Metaverse Architects because when we look at kind of uh, literature of, of, of the metaverse in its kind of um, Hollywood 
representation, kind of like from Ready Player One and such. Um, the architect is that is is that person who is designing the infrastructure, designing the, econ- the economy, and and we saw ourselves as kind of being uh, representing that um, goal for organizations and being um, a, you know a studio that would be able to kind of architect whatever you're trying to create on the internet. Um, uh, a, a big thing for us is always emerging technology. Um, so we we'll always try to stay at the forefront of that. Um, uh, if I had to kind of go back to when I first got involved, though, because, yes, it's, I, I guess I could be considered an expert, you know, in the field that is new. But when I was first getting into it, obviously I was, uh, it was, I, I was on my day zero in 2020, 2021, when it came to figuring out how the metaverse mm-hmm. and Web3 um, uh, kind of go together. One thing that I didn't expect is for so much worldwide attention and kind of major brands to actually be trying to adopt this technology over the past kind of two, three years. That was a huge surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that's kind of, uh, that's, that's, that's the unique part of, of, uh, of, of being in entrepreneurship space and kind of um, getting a, a bit more of a feel for how, uh, I guess, different rise and cycles yeah. come and go, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. I've never uh, heard someone define the metaverse as encompassing the entire internet right now. Mm-hmm. I've only ever heard, say, people describe it as, you know, say, I've heard it described as like the 3D internet, for example. And when most people think of metaverse, they tend to think of, like you say, the Oasis in Ready Player One, this kind of VR based kind of internet where people can interact in like a, in a 3d manner uh, but it's quite yeah. interesting that you define it as encompassing everything is that how you see it now or do you think it just has the potential to encompass everything so to, to give credit to where my kind of philosophy comes from today um a lot of it aligns with herman narula's vision of the metaverse mm-hmm. um so in his book is really where i think I, a lot of my inspiration today comes from um, which obviously was not was not in the beginning. In the beginning, I was, I guess, more mainstream with my thoughts, thinking, you know, just the Ready Player One, the virtual world idea. Yeah. But Herman Arula really goes even further and opens up the idea of the metaverse even further, where it's actually about the story of humanity. And it's um, mm. the metaverse a thousand years ago, we're told, you know, or even further back, we're told in tales and in the form of myths and, and, and stories, yeah. right? And uh, kind of the metaverse is just the evolving tools we have to tell our stories. Um, uh, kind of so, so that I, I really like that 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 philosophy behind it because then it, it allows us to think that yes, you know, this is a way for us to represent culture, um, a way for us, you know, to communicate, and that's what makes us yeah. human. Uh, even though a lot of what we're talking about today is digital. Yeah, I, I really love that. You're resonating with the gamer inside of me there. And you kind of touched on the thing that I wanted to ask you as a follow on to that is, why do we need the metaverse? To a lot of people, it's quite um, intangible, you know, the metaverse. So why do we actually need the metaverse, do you think? Oh, why do we need the metaverse? So um, it's like, do we, I, why do we need the metaverse? I think if we find it entertaining, we'll use it kind of thing. If we, mm-hmm. if, if, in that sense, why do we need it? It's why, why, why have I found it useful? For example, is because I'm from a small Island, right? Malta. Yeah. And because mm-hmm. of kind of, um, inter, you know, being in the metaverse, if you're selling skins, if you're selling wearables, if you're selling, um, 3d models, 
it allows you to work, work with companies all over the world, with people, mm-hmm. even talent all over the world, and to kind of create um, a value which obviously is debatable. If you're a gamer, maybe you understand that a beautiful virtual world is worth working on, investing time in, yeah, yeah. in designing, because, you know, people will spend time in it, right? And then, obviously, there's commercials involved, etc. cetera. Um, so it's... it's, it's uh, I mean, one... So what's preoccupying my thoughts? Because obviously there are the obvious things you can talk about, like why Roblox is a great example of you know, the poten- commercial potential of a metaverse, even though it's maybe not a Web3 metaverse. Um, but then if I think to, let's say, in the, in the future or even just this summer, you know, things like global warming might make staying outdoors uh, something that's not, not, not possible for certain countries and certain regions. Mm. And if you're stuck inside, what can you do? You know, you can socialize, you can yeah. create commercial value still online. And I think that, that that is obviously a bit dystopic, like, but even if you just look at it from a country scenario, if I'm an entrepreneur and I built a business in, the, in, a, in, a, in a virtual world and my country goes to war, I can leave my country and my virtual business is untouched, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I, I guess it's, it's just kind of those are some, I guess, perks of, of a digital economy in a sense. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but I, at the end of the day, it could be considered a luxury in, in many ways, you know, to, to, to have a virtual, to have time to, to kind of spend online and, and to have mm-hmm. technology and to have social media and these things. Um, so I, I, as a person, I'm still very much in touch with, with nature as well. So I love to go outdoors and surfing and this sort of thing. So I do have that internal battle of I love tech, I love spending time online, I love meeting people online, I love socializing and, fun, and having fun online. But then I don't. I also am aware that listen, I don't want to be just sucked into an online world, right? So maybe I <laughs> exactly. try to justify it by saying, listen, if the world goes to shit, there's an option online, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think I think people will find it refreshing that someone is so deep in in the metaverse world and you know building the metaverse also is very much grounded and in touch with nature because that's a lot of people's worries is we're all going to be plugged into the matrix. You know, you see the memes of people just wearing goggles, but, you know, lying trash or lying around them in their bedrooms type thing. I mean, people are worried about that, but um, I I agree it's important to have this balance, right? Because technology, you can either use it or it can use you. And Mm -hmm. that's what I try to, I, I think a lot of even entrepreneurs talk about social media in that way. Where either you're a consumer of it or you can be a creator of it. Yeah. So I try to advertise this idea of being a creator is more productive for yourself and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, for others as well, in a sense, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah that makes total sense. I think we often use that same phrasing. And uh, I think, yeah, if, you, if you're going to be a, one of the two, it's, it, it makes sense to be trying to be on the creative side. Um, I, I want to double click quickly on something you said there, because I think there's a really interesting distinction you're, you're, you're bringing in. You mentioned about Roblox not necessarily being a Web3 metaverse. What do you mean by a Web3 metaverse and how, how does that differentiate from the kind of the larger definition you kind of started with? So one thing that's, I, like, I, I got into the central and, and now I'm getting into Roblox. So that's uh, one thing interesting about mm. me, I guess, when it comes to this space. Um, and there's a lot of parallels. So there, it's really interesting comparing them side by side and the infrastructure that's been built and that's being built uh, kind of ongoingly. Um, 
they essentially work the same. Except the, the the main difference is that instead of Robux, which is you know a centralized currency in a sense, and Roblox as an organization functions a bit like a bank because they have their own currency that you know it's a, and um then just comparing that to the central land right it's it's the same kind of thing the technology at the central is, is inferior if you have to compare it to roblox you know i mean there's you know, it doesn't take much brains to realize that you know your what you can build on roblox is a lot better than what you can build on the central land but then the central land mm-hmm. has this feature which it's designed more like a, a free city kind of thing where people can go set up shop you know kind of uh, transact without having to go through a centralized entity there's a DAO, so there's people who are uh, it's, there's a political kind of way of trying to govern this space mm-hmm. and like that's that's interesting in itself but at the moment you know if, if you asked where are most people or most gamers you know if you compare them side by side there's a lot more traffic on these uh, more established platforms um uh, I, I think that uh, the the way that this technology will be integrated is inside or is in a way where from the user side you maybe don't really have a big distinction and then if you're a platform like roblox you know you don't actually want, want to have responsibility of keys or this stuff in the hands of children and such so mm-hmm. i am trying to start to understand like like how is this going to merge over time um mm-hmm. uh, you know w- will platforms like the central and over the years be able to create something that's 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 usable for the masses i mean if you keep in mind that roblox has been around since like 2006 2007 right something or mm. 2008 you know it's taken a long time to build all of that infrastructure and some of it you can say is maybe not i don't know if it's outdated i wouldn't say so um minecraft <laughs> you could say would be outdated but, but yeah <laughs> so you've kind of talked about two of probably the most um famous examples of you know metaverses out there decentraland and roblox and you also started to talk about some of the considerations you have to build into the system when you know designing a metaverse you were talking about keys and storing keys and things like this so what are some of the the biggest considerations that you would have when you know people should look to build a metaverse what should they really think about based on your experience so they need to know what what they're trying to achieve now uh, there's a very valid case to go into the central and if your target market is the web3 audience mm-hmm. um, because it's it's got one of the strongest communities in the space there is a you know the the media in web3 usually pick up things that are happening inside of the central and so like there is that that argument you know but if you're a brand that's looking to reach you know millions of people and potentially make profit um uh, Roblox right now is a much uh, a kind of richer ecosystem and there's things that are mm-hmm. working together. So one thing that's interesting in the sense land, for example, is you can, there is a company, an organization called AdShares. They do programmatic advertising on, on 2D websites, but they also introduced it into the central land. Mm-hmm. Now that's like a third company. Uh, that's, that's a third party that's like not controlled by, by any, has, or has any kind of legal relation with the central land. Let's set up a business doing billboard advertising. If you compare that to Roblox, in Roblox, that kind of system is inbuilt into the entire kind of ecosystem. So if you wanted to drive traffic to your experience, you can use their kind of Facebook ad management system and kind of have a near guarantee that you can get whatever numbers your KPIs are set at. 
um, mm. because they have hundreds of millions of users. Um, so if you're a brand that's trying to reach an entire population of, of upcoming um, youth, you know, Roblox is mm. definitely more effective at that. But if you're trying to reach, you know, people who maybe think a bit differently and you want to attract more Web3 people to your company or, or, or explore partnerships um, or, or see what your brand can do, um, uh, kind of using cryptocurrency, like the the Centraland has a lot of openness that allowed us, for example, to build um, a crypto casino, um, mm. uh, which in the bear market is probably one of the few um, Web3 <laughs> companies that is still generating money, you know? Uh, so that, that's that's kind of like an interesting kind of way to think about things. But that, yeah. that's obviously not a client you would take to Roblox, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the advertising aspect because one of the first things I came across when I was, you know, started hearing about the metaverse and looking into it, I, think, I can't remember if it was, I think it was Roblox. Um, it was either Roblox or Decentraland. But I saw that lots of large companies were buying up land just for advertising. So I think I think Atari was one example, and they bought tons of plots of land next to each other, like you know maybe like an eighth of all the land, so that when you would go on the map, you just see a big logo straight away. And I found that quite funny as a as, as a big corporate kind of trying to muscle in on the advertising game there. Um, you know, you're talking a lot about brands yeah. using the metaverse. Is is that the kind of client you normally cater for are you bringing people like that to the metaverse or do you also help people build kind of new fresh ones uh new fresh world and, and, and like metaverse games from scratch as well yeah so we already mentioned um herman Nerula. like I'm, I'm a big fan maybe you know but um <laughs> uh, they, they do work on some interesting stuff because um uh, they, they m squared have released something called metaverse markup language which is an open source standard now, this is something that's really important for the industry because mm. uh, if if this kind of standard gets adopted, what it allows for is essentially, you know, um, companies like myself to build um, according to one standard and then this, uh, whatever we build, to be portable into Unreal Engine or into Unity and, and that sort of thing. And for there to be communication as well between these separate kind of words. Then they also have their technology, um, uh, which is the, the, the Morpheus multiplayer platform that allows for 10,000 or, or even further um, concurrency. So if you wanted to have you know, 10,000 people in one festival all singing the national anthem, you, you would hear that together, you know, and they've uh, <laughs> done kind of these examples where you have crowds singing football anthems, you know, in, in virtual spaces in unison together which creates a really interesting effect. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that's what we can build for in terms of like, if you want, if a customer wanted something that's completely white labeled, would essentially um, uh, wants to work with, 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 with that. That's, that's the, the gold standard at the moment, you know, sure. but uh, yeah. in terms of budget and these things, it, it, it depends on, on what, what you, what you set out, setting out to achieve. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you brought up like the the kind of 
the issue to an extent with standards in the metaverses and the, the portability and all this kind of stuff is something that we talk about quite a lot that we, you know we assume interoperability amongst yeah. many metaverses well, but that's not the way the industry is going it's it's the it's, i failed to mention one that it's basically like html and css mm-hmm. like, like a kind of like mm-hmm. a react that's built for for, for metaverse. i'm not a very amazing coder but that's 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 the short description of it yeah, that, that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, that kind of stuff is super important because we have these like isolated bubbles right now developing in the kind of their own way. And what people expect at the end of the day is one metaverse where everyone can move from place to place and bring their, you know, their avatars and characters with them. And the other thing they want to bring with them are their NFTs. And this is a, a big thing that also probably needs to adopt standards. And I know that you've done a, a bit around this stuff, but what is the role of like NFTs in the metaverse in your mind? Um, communities is, is a big part of it, you know. So, um, when people, one thing that's working on Twitter, for example, is this idea of subscribing, right, to uh, to um, to different influencers. Maybe not everyone likes mm-hmm. it, but um, uh, one advantage is that if you subscribe to someone's Twitter, is that they can open like a, a, a group chat for their mm-hmm. subscribers only, you know. So. Being able to create those kind of spaces for for your community to interact beyond the Discord channel mm-hmm. is essentially what what the, what what the selling point is for for the metaverse technology. Now, when it comes to bringing in your clothing and this sort of thing, the uh, Centerland has a feature which I think other other platforms might be adopting by now. Which essentially, if you let's say you're a board ape holder, if you enter their platform, it will recognize you're holding a board ape. And it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's it's, it's programmed to, to 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 display what you should look like you know as your avatar in that sense. I mean, Ready Player Me is doing it in a more centralized way, but it still works. There's different ways to achieve it, I guess. And but yeah. then in terms of true interoperability, I don't know. I like how far we'll get overnight. I think things interoperability is something that happens like over a spectrum kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so like, I mean, what you're describing there is like the idea of like avatars bringing in like their own collectible. So what I think you're saying is that it's around like the social currency aspect, right? Like this is a representation of who I am in like a metaverse that I, I provably own these NFTs. And I can say, you know, that I, I own this board ape or I'm the top subscriber to, to this particular artist. And do you think that's very important to people? Do you think that the metaverse needs these kind of things to be successful? Yes, for sure. I mean, for a client, we're putting in their traditional artwork into their into hmm. their build, like and displaying their traditional artwork. So they own a lot of expensive artwork in real life and we're showing them off online. But obviously there's no way of kind of provably showing evidence of ownership, mm-hmm. unlike with NFTs. I mean, that's showing kind of having your own galleries already a part of it, I, I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see massive roadblocks, though, to kind of using NFTs inside of metaverse platforms. Like I, yeah. I think there's kind of quite a clear format for how to do it. I think the biggest issues are... Um, that there's only kind of like one platform at the moment, which is kind of open source and allows anyone to kind of come in and do other things. I mean, at the moment, you have a lot of NFT projects which are associated mm-hmm. with different metaverse platforms, 
that have legally binding IP clauses that only allow mm. them to be present in one place, you know. So there's there's all kinds of challenges to interoperability, some of them to do with normal copyright, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that like when while we're talking about NFTs, for me, it's interesting your your definition of the metaverse being, you know, kind of encompassing anything on the internet and this idea of, you know, how you tell stories, how you, how you do um, any any kind of interaction on the, on the web. I feel like NFTs were maybe the, the first and best example of interoperability breaking through in Web3 because you saw big platforms like your your Instagram, I think it was Instagram and Twitter. Twitter definitely, you, 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 I think you're now able to, um, I, you can tell I haven't got any particularly valuable NFTs myself. But I'm pretty sure you can now, you know, set it as your your avatar, and it'll link out to, to to the blockchain records, right, or the OpenSea and things like that. And that, to me, is an example of something in one domain of the internet and, and Web three, like something that lives on the blockchain, then appearing in 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 a website and a social media platform. So even though for a lot of people NFTs aren't necessarily the most interesting thing on the face of it, I think they they really did show the first success case of, of interoperability in, in my view definitely i mean did you have any do you, do you have any thoughts on what that whole process when they became popularized because uh you will obviously have lived through that period yourself um I mean, you know, for them to be integrated, like for them to be integrated properly into games i think like the minting the minting fees need to go obviously kind of thing that mm. those are the obvious issues i guess i mean i had even run a, an axie guild for for short while you know uh, know, axi teams in the philippines i'm still in touch with one of the guys who said we manage them like these are all awesome people kind of thing like and it was a (laughs) social felt like we're doing a social experiment like just putting money in it's going to people who are playing a a game that's kind of like a like an interesting game but but then obviously uh, there were issues to kind of like this, uh, to how the game was marketed, it was being described as an investment and, and this sort of thing, mm. you know. And that those were the issues I saw. Like I know that people are being promised that they're going to get rich on this sort of thing. Like when, when um, uh, the value that's generated a game should, I guess, come about because of sentiment, like tradability, mm-hmm. scarcity, kind of like you know, going back to the, to to thinking about things like Pokemon cards, right? That's I think. Yeah. What I think. Gary V got very right is that he, he, he thought of the things uh, as, as, as collectibles and really pushed in this idea that in 20, 30 years, you're going to be glad you, you held on to it. You know, it's, it's a, yeah. um, and, and th- that's, 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 that's uh, I mean, there are some parts of the center and which have that, that element, you know, <laughs> there's this very core community that really, really love the brand and love the, the, the ecosystem. Um, uh, the earliest mints are bought up, like and owned by by different individuals. Like, I th- mm-hmm. it does have that, those elements to it. Um, but yeah. I, I, I again, like maybe I've been involved in it for too long to be objective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're totally right. Like collectibles has probably been around since the dawn of maybe civilization like it's so intrinsic to humanity we love collecting things it's gone from like yeah, you know, the neanderthals with their baseball cards right you know? <laughs> <laughs> well they probably had nice shells and nice rocks they imagine it started out as but like it's just we get it and i think it's one of the reasons why like nfts kind of make sense to a lot of people even if it is like 
very uh, kind of used by gamers right now specifically because I think maybe that the social aspect is probably a bit more understandable by gamers like the idea to say look let me show you who I am and what I've done and all these things that I own and I think gamers have adopted it but I think it is going to be pushed more and more to like other people in the space and other sectors of society like the way that you think of like your Instagram and your LinkedIn profile representing who you are I imagine NFTs will be that in the future on your Web3 wallet. This is what you like. This is what you own. This is, you know, who you are as an actual person in a much more yeah. provable and efficient way. And there's a lot of excitement coming from that stuff. And so I, 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 I like the idea of organizations a lot. So um, DAOs for me are an important part of, of kind of uh, the potential of NFTs and, and kind of these online communities. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at... And from this perspective, over the years, it's the, it's the power has shifted from different organizations. Um, mm-hmm. Many, you know, hundreds of years ago, the most powerful institution would have been the church, and the church was a group of people who are rallied behind a mission and a way of of of, uh, of, of set of beliefs and values, and you know how to and how and they, that's how society kind of was was controlled and and, and uh, organized. That's what an organization <laughs> should, should do, right? Organize things. Um, uh, and then over time, we had things like companies come around, you know, like the, the Dutch East India Company and these things, which those were innovations for their time. You know, they created a new way of organizing human resources <laughs> and human labor and human kind of uh, activity. And, you know, then the governments kind of took over from kings and queens and that sort of thing. And, you know, over time, we've had things like foundations and NGOs and, and these sort of um, organizational structures. And I think DAOs are going to be obviously, well, or not obviously, but for me, they're the most logical organization um, for virtual communities to, to be governed by. Like at present, there's a lot of kind of wrong ways of doing a DAO and there's a lot of kind of different learning curves that, that I feel like a lot of different DAOs have been going through for many years, maybe longer than mm-hmm. most people thought, because the idea of a DAO sounds simple. Um, uh, but I, I strongly believe that kind of we'll have governments that are brave enough uh, start legislating and creating the first legal identities. And once you have a legal identity, mm-hmm. then you would allow uh, these, these organizations to have real-world bank accounts, to own real-world assets, and that's even more important because then these virtual communities will have a physical space, you know, their church, mm-hmm. go and, <laughs> and kind of hang out um, and share ideas and share values and that sort of thing. I, that's really, I really like how you've described that. I wonder if you've read the book Sapiens because he kind of, the, the author of Sapiens kind of makes the description in a similar way. He's like, you know, we had for many hundreds of thousands of years, we had tribes of 150 people. And that's because we could only remember enough details about 150 people to interact properly. And then all of a sudden we started to develop faith and religion and it allowed us to grow our tribes to much greater society sizes because we kind of knew there was shared values across these tribes and then that moved to politics and countries and states and then that moved to you know businesses like you were saying and it's really interesting to to see that you would think that the final form of this is DAOs 
and that's like the the end goal and it's kind of like a shift in faith from you know these groups to maybe a shift in faith to technology to a certain extent and maybe a shift in faith to the more decentralized approach but like you say we need the kind of the, the legal recognition of these things to actually kind of give the faith that these these can actually go forward and be the maybe the most efficient way of governing these kind of online bodies which is it's exciting mm. right yeah, for sure. You mentioned sapiens, definitely. I think it's like a merge of sapiens and Ray Dalio's changing world mm. order kind of thing. Yeah. But where kind of my opinion on where the changing world, world order is going to go is that kind of these digital economies are going to grow to the size of countries where some of them already have. And obviously that's um, maybe you know in 20 years or 30 years time or even longer or shorter, I don't know what happens. Um, these, they, it could, they, you know, the influence of these organizations will have more kind of tangible um, kind of effects. And usually, when there's major crisis, is that kind of the time to shine can always come around. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah we that's, already that's, saw that's... obviously the um, the the good example of that was the you know they nearly bought the constitution, right? Constitution doubt very nearly actually managed to buy the US Constitution, which would have been pretty a pretty big moment and a bit of a statement for, for the DAO community. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, one of the interesting things about your kind of vision of DAOs being, you know, larger than countries and larger than enterprises currently, which I, I could totally see in the future, a big thing for me would be the accountability aspect. Like, who is accountable if something goes wrong? You know, 52% of uh, this... Potentially one billion size DAO, and then something happens with that decision that goes fundamentally wrong. How is accountability measured there? It's kind of similar to what we're seeing with like smart cars. And it's like if the, the program goes wrong and there's 100 million cars using the same program, what happens when something goes wrong and there's a car crash? And there's kind of a public uh, challenge there where people find it hard to actually get across that there's a, an accountability issue where they don't know who to blame and there's not someone you know that they can penalize in that case. And I wonder if this is going to be a limit on the DAO's kind of rise to power, potentially. That's an interesting thing to, to mention. Like, so, because you mentioned the electric, uh, no, the autonomous cars. So, I, mm -hmm. one way I've, I've heard that, that kind of an argument on that is that like, autonomous cars, if we're being logical, don't have to not ever kill anyone. They just have to kill mm -hmm. less people than humans do when driving. Um, yeah, yeah. But but because of this kind of like um, uh, legal query, like whose responsibility it does happen, it kind of freezes us from saying let the let the, the AI drive the cars, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And I feel it's a bit the same with the with the DAO question kind of thing. Like what happens with the legal liability? It might just mean that we need to compromise. Yeah, where ultimately there needs to be a founder who is liable and willing to take the risk of, of being liable to something he's not in control of. That's my legal precedence, you know, because if, uh, you know, he's not found liable and then uh, through, uh, you know, uh, a court case, you find certain members were the actual culprits, then you go and do so. Um, but I yeah, mean, yeah. it's like, I, 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 that's... I, if, if a country does, if a government does something wrong, is the prime minister always responsible? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm imagining like a, an Elon Musk taking all liability for all Tesla crashes that ever happen. <laughs> right, exactly. Same thing with a company, right? Like, so yeah. there is some way of, of 
and I, I, I think it just takes the, the willingness to figure it out. And different countries will always legislate in slightly different ways. Um, so some countries will decide to legislate in one way, some will decide to legislate in another way. And that's good because as entrepreneurs and, um, and DAOs, you have choice and then let the business mm-hmm. win, you know. Yeah, that's a, maybe a nice segue on to um, talking about where you're based, right? Because you're obviously based in Malta. Um, and I, I, I was going to say, you know, is it is it good being based there for Metaverse Architects? I presume you'll kind of work in a distributed manner anyway, um, um, as you said earlier. But I'd like to know, yeah, what's the scene like in Malta? Is there, is there something particular that you, you love about that? Yes, I mean, like Malta has been a great place to grow up. Um, uh, it's it's an, it's an interesting part of the world being that like we're just in the center of the Mediterranean, New York, Europe to the north, Africa to the south. Um, kind of, it's a very multicultural place. So growing up, I was always, especially like after 18 and, and onwards, hanging out with a lot of expats and going to like digital nomad events and that sort of thing where there is there is a network. Um, uh, if you're not Maltese, I happen to be Maltese. Um, it's a fantastic jurisdiction for um, uh, for your company or for yourself if you know you're looking to not to, to kind of have a good lifestyle, but also a low tax environment and a friendly business environment in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a very interesting country in this in terms that the government has proven over like 30, 40 years, whether it was one government or the other, because um, uh, there's two kind of major political parties. Um, it kind of has proven to, to always create new laws that are sometimes a bit brave for their time. So it's done this in the maritime industry in I think the 80s, 90s. And then it's done it with um, uh, creating some of the first offshore customer support for mm. in the early 2000s and then re- um, regulating the gambling industry for the first time in, in the European Union. Um, and then in 2017, maybe some guys from Web3 would remember this concept of the blockchain island. And this idea yeah. that uh, Malta is going to be creating the best um, regulatory system for Web3. Obviously, uh, they were, it wasn't perfect when it was launched, but it was very forward-looking. So today, when you look at the MECA regulation of, you, of the, uh, that's been released by the European Union, mm-hmm. uh, I think the Commission released it. A lot of it is based actually on the original laws that Malta wrote and since then has rewrote. So it is quite a, a confident jurisdiction kind of for Web3 companies. As in, there's a lot of good examples. Um, but I mean, personally, there's uh, it's not the best jurisdiction if you're Maltese, which is an interesting thing. Oh, really? because, yeah, yes. And this is some, some the mistake a lot of governments are doing in today's time. So uh, if you are a Portuguese citizen, you don't benefit from the same um, kind of treatment as if you were mm. a, a, a British or a Maltese or a, or a Canadian, um, which is I, which is causing a lot of entrepreneurs who are from one country to say, hey, I might be better off if I move somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite interesting to, to see that. Yeah, I've yeah. always had this impression of Malta, like as you say, as being kind of at the forefront of uh, of blockchain in particular. Yeah, the, the whole blockchain island Um Thing was was definitely was my association with Malta really, and I remember there being lots of conferences, lots of money flowing towards projects there. So um, 
yeah, it, I, I didn't I didn't realize it maybe wasn't so good for for Maltese people, but um. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I mean it's not bad <laughs> from what you speak, but I wouldn't say it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I don't. I, I, as in you mentioned, my something else that I work on, which is nomad visa Malta, is a, is mm-hmm. a service that helps kind of digital nomads move here, kind of thing. But I do encourage other Maltese entrepreneurs to really get out of the country to travel because one thing that Maltese startups sometimes suffer from is thinking too small. Um, it's a very small mm-hmm. country, small, uh, small population. Right. And you don't have that um, way of thinking as you do in bigger countries like the UK or the United States, where there's millions of people who have never heard of you. And you're like, you're, you're, you need to think with a much bigger kind of mindset, you know? Got you. So you um you kind of alluded to, you know, Maltese startups just. <laughs> and I think just before we started recording, that you just gave us uh, some other news about a new startup that you potentially have. Um, I'd love to hear a bit about it. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, it's exciting because I think I'm in such a good mood because I've just been talking about like my new startup for the past couple of weeks. Um, it's my favorite thing to do, um, to kind of create a new story. You know, today we, we spoke about the importance of stories and like, I think startups are all entirely about um, having a story and and in, a, in some way it's an open-ended story, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, things continue to unfold. But I am um, back in December of 2022. Um, uh, I was looking at the generative AI space, and mm. uh, I noticed obviously that there were these uh, these projects, you know, creating lookalikes of people's avatars. You know, you could enhance what you look like and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, what my thoughts were over there was that uh, like this 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 technology is going to continue to evolve, and I want to potentially like get get get, get into it somehow in a similar way mm-hmm. I did with architects and that's where this idea of creating a model agency and targeting the fashion industry um but it is entirely ai AI generated Mm -hmm. um so my process for starting you know a company is is usually to to find you know a website preferably a dot com um i do go for keyword specific um business names because the seo advantage when you're bootstrapping and you don't have like a lot of funds is really really helpful Mm -hmm. And then registering, you know, AI model agency essentially allowed me to test in, inside of this new idea whether people are even searching for the solution. Mm. Um, mm. And what I found from December up until, you know, June, which is when I started to say, okay, there's, there's real potential here, was a lot of businesses actually reached out to me at um, AI model agency. And, and, I, and I was just looking for solutions that I could potentially offer to them. You know, mm. since then I've had uh, potential clients who were from, for example, Saudi Arabia, um, gold jewelers, and they and one one issue they have is that for models to try on their gold jewelry, they need to send it to their influencers in another country, yeah. mm. and uh, that's obviously shipping. It's risky, and the biggest problem is that sometimes it doesn't get sent back to uh, <laughs> to <yeah>. the owner. <laughs> so um, and in Saudi it's sometimes hard to find um, different diverse models who would like to show skin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that, that there was a number of issues to solve over there. Um, and that, back then I couldn't kind of actually service this client because I was still learning more about the AI generative field. Mm-hmm. But now we can actually do this sort of thing like where, we're, mm-hmm. where technology is moving along fast enough. I don't really need to invest that much in, in kind of building AI products because so many <laughs> amazing entrepreneurs out there have already built very good products that I have subscriptions with, you know? 
and, yeah. and we're basically building a business around offering this as a service. Now we're creating a portfolio of AI-generated models, which will look exactly like um, a model agency's catalog, because essentially mm. an agency is a very simple business that has a catalog of, of headshots. And in a B2B deal, you simply say, I want this one, this one, and that one. And we're going to replicate that, 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 that same kind of uh, mm-hmm. business over there. Wow. In the meantime, I created a dress generator. Um, uh, it, it was a very quick kind of like 30-day sprint at wearme.ai. And it um, essentially just generates wedding dresses, like you select different features. <laughs> and uh, that is, in itself, did 56 sales, like from, from December oh, wow. till, till, till now as well. <laughs> And like kind of, there is some scope to create a better version of that. That's more wide than can can generate any addresses. But I, I'm taking things like day by day, partnering with some really interesting yeah. people. So, kind of putting together a team uh, and trying to generate, you know, some revenue and some real cases with clients, um, yeah. uh, and, and and hopefully bootstrapping another another cool business for the next few years. That's really cool. I think the idea of like, so right now you're generating what 2D images, right? 2D AI generated images for, for models. Have you thought about kind of bringing together your, your metaverse work and, you know, the, the current new AI work to start to have AI generated content in 3D spaces as well? Yes, I mean that, that stuff's coming, and we're 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 including AI in part of our workflows, and at the moment as much as possible. I think the next thing for everybody agency is getting a bit more hands-on with with things like runway, which allow for video and this sort of thing, mm. because we can do more than just kind of creating two D images that are good for um, a fashion shoot, but also yeah. looking into the marketing and creating you know ads and uh, the entertainment creating short short you know maybe music videos and this sort of thing mm-hmm. crossover with metaverse but uh, yeah but bit by bit i guess well either way it's nice for us to have our first uh, i'm going to i'm going to claim it as an exclusive on the show i know you've already got a website <laughs> but uh i think this is the first time you've spoken about it publicly right so yeah thanks for for sharing that with us i think we could probably do with being your first customers for our marketing so people don't have to see our actual faces anymore that might be handy <laughs> well um, you know what if you continue this podcast for the next 50 years we can keep you looking just as young yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly that that would be that would be ideal i mean I'm, well, let's see if we're here in 50 years but yeah um so luke as we as we're coming to kind of the end of the of the show here i just want to get your your kind of general outlook on the state of metaverse right now i mean and what your take is on on how things have gone obviously we've had fairly high profile entry into the space from uh, meta and, and the horizon worlds offering like do you think that's been a success do you think these new players have have managed to challenge the, the older ones and, and where do you think it's going in the near future i mean that will remain one of the most scariest and exciting moments of my life <laughs> my company is called metaverse architects and, and facebook just changed their name to meta they're gonna sue me like what <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it brought a lot of attention. It created a lot of unrealistic expectations. Um, uh, it accelerated the industry. Um, but then it created, obviously, this, this feeling of a dump, right? You know, because things got inflated and then kind of um, got, got forgotten about, in a sense. Mm. I just think that even them, from their side, they're playing a long, a long game kind of thing. They, they see the potential in, in, in the space. They're, they have the hardware, they're also doing a lot of software. 
maybe they announced it so they they did it so drastically because they knew Apple will eventually be coming out with their Vision Pro, so they wanted to get mm. into the consumer mindset, this idea of a metaverse to be a Facebook thing. You know, now Apple doesn't even use the word metaverse; it's spatial computing. <laughs> so it's it's sometimes these things is just like like are are they just playing games with the media? You know what's what's going on here? Like, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks, Luca. I mean, it's been really great having you on here. We have one less last segment that we ask all our guests, basically, and we want to compare their answers across like the ages, basically. Um, the first question is, in one sentence, what is Web3 to you? Um, for me, what is Web3 to me? Um, it is, I think, the realization that um, digital, a digital economy can exist, you know? So from the first time I, I discovered things like, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, uh, it, fe- it felt like discovering, you know, a, 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 new, a new tool, a new, a new invention, mm. right? Mm. Um, I'm trying to think there's uh, uh, something I wanted to compare it to, but... Um, So it's, it's like, a good answer. <laughs> that's yeah, a, as you said, that's one of the most yes. insightful answers we've had exactly. so far. And it was nice yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was, that was a really good comparison, but I forgot it now. So I'll just leave that. that if it comes last. to you, yeah. you shoot it at us and we'll add it. I think um, that, yeah, okay. that was a really great answer. Awesome. So the second question is if you could choose anybody, dead or alive, to sit down and discuss Web3 with, who would it be and why? Um, yes, I know this. Um, there's a guy who goes by the name of Jay Schumpeter, um, Joseph mm. Schumpeter, and he was an Austrian mm. economist, uh, most famously known for the idea of creative destruction. Um, and creative destruction is not a scary term, but it's just this ex- this this um, kind of. Uh, I'd, I'd like to talk to him about it and just see how he would look at the world today and how he would compare his theories and thoughts to to our current scenario. Um, Yes, another great answer. I think that's the first time we've had one of the Austrians mentioned in that answer to that question. I think that's a a really good one. That's probably be up there with me as well. Um, But yeah, so Luca, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I've really enjoyed this one. And to those listening, thank you for listening wherever you may be. And join us next time as we untangle a little more of Web3. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.